0: From Brick in downtown Brooklyn, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is Glitter and Doom, a show about artists who are responding to the most pressing issues of our times. When I was fresh out of college, I had a job at a small startup. My coworkers were two men and one woman. We were all friends, all in our early 20s. And then our boss was a woman in her 40s who had been brought in to sort of manage the chaos of four people who had never had real jobs before trying to run a company. There was this one brainstorming session where we were all tossing around ideas and building off one another, and our boss chastised me in front of everyone and told me I had to stop interrupting my two male coworkers. It makes my cheeks burn just thinking about it. I was so embarrassed, and it made me question a lot of things that I thought I knew about myself. Was I rude? Did people find me unpleasant to work with? Was I an asshole colleague? I started talking less in meetings, and I left the company soon after. It took me a while to realize that it was bullshit. Sexist bullshit. I'm not rude. I'm assertive, but I do listen. And if I interrupt someone, it's not thoughtless, it's because that's the flow of conversation or because that's the only way I'll get a word in. Today, I recognize my boss's comment as informed by a world in which men are praised for interrupting and women are punished. But for the longest time, I thought it was a reflection on my poor social graces. And I think I would have felt that way even longer if I were less confident in my social skills, someone shy or socially hesitant. Liana Fink is a cartoonist who has made a career out of depicting microaggressions like the one I encountered. As a shy person who struggled with social interactions, she made notes and drawings as a way to figure out how to fit in. Passing for Human is the title of one of her three books. But at a certain point, she started wondering, what if this isn't just me? Liana would find herself in awkward situations because she was behaving in a way she wasn't supposed to. But who decides how women are supposed to behave? I recently sat down with Liana to talk about The New Yorker, reading the comments, and dating a sea captain. Liana Fink, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. You you draw a lot for The New Yorker, um, and you got your break under Bob Mankoff, who mm-hmm. was the previous cartoon editor. Yeah. And he held that role for like 20 years. Yeah and he retired in 2017 at the Mm -hmm. age of, I think like early 70s. And the new New Yorker cartoon editor, Emma Allen, is a woman who's in her early 30s. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you've seen a shift in the type of work that has been appearing under Emma's leadership and what it's like to work with um, somebody who's maybe more of a peer and
1: contemporary. It's It's been wonderful, although I, I really loved working with Bob also. I think a shift started happening under Bob. There were like some more young people and and some more women under Bob, but it sped up a ton with Emma. And I think it's now really equal men and women cartoonists. There are a ton of younger people. Yeah. It's been, it's been really nice. I really like her and respect her. I, I think the best thing for an editor to be is not, it's not your soulmate, but it's, a a friend you really respect and are always learning new things about. You don't want them to understand you completely. You need to be able to explain yourself to them because if they understood you completely, they would take things that no one else would understand besides the two of you. There's so much conversation about the
0: importance of having diversity in positions of power you know, from like Fortune 500 companies, where it's like, oh, I'm I'm hiring a marketing marketing executive, and of course, I'm more willing to hire somebody who I relate to or has more mm-hmm. in common with yeah. me. But when I think about more artistic or editorial fields, it seems even more important, and especially with humor, where our senses of humor are informed so much by our different cultural references. I know. And so maybe I think that somebody from a different background just isn't funny because I don't yeah. get their references. Yeah how do how do we try to guard against that or like cast a wider net um in a field like cartooning or comics do you think
1: i think it should come with having diverse editors from all different backgrounds and that's where it starts i yeah i really don't think it comes from getting the one cartoonist to draw things from all different perspectives i think everyone is specific we can't we can't be angry at White men for drawing white men thing, or drawing or writing white man things, but we, I don't need to read them. And I make thirty three year old woman things, white white woman things, and like they're for a very specific demographic also. And I need there to be more people around. I'm not the every man. I'm very specific. I have like a book
0: of you know New Yorker cartoons in the last however many years, and I look back at ones from decades and decades ago. And there's a lot that I just don't understand. Me too. I'm like, is there a joke or a punchline? Like, they're so (laughs) over
1: my head. And I'm like, but at one point, people thought this was funny. Like, the culture understood this. Or Uh, at least, like, some of the culture did and the ones who didn't didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. My wife doesn't know how to type. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wives, am I right? Yeah, um, I really, I can't stand some early New Yorker cartoonists and like a lot of my contemporaries who like a lot of the slightly older male, slightly older in New Yorker cartoonist terms is like 60. But um, just like like I don't get Peter Ar- Arno, he's offensive to me. Many others I love. What do you find offensive about ones that are offensive to you? Um, usually the huge boobs like he draws it, like he draws so many Miss America jokes of like oh i i think i'll judge this one <laughs> or some like i'll judge this contest instead of the usual literary prize i judge like look at those gazangas or something <laughs> they're just like really not funny <laughs> <laughs> right i didn't know who you were referring to yeah. when you mentioned his name but now that, that
0: description guy. i know exactly yeah who that is <laughs> a lot of your more personal cartoons that you draw either for Instagram or for your books a lot of them are funny but they're not funny in a gag way they're funny in sort of a like oh like you, yeah you've touched on <laughs> a core essence of humanity that is both funny and and deeply poignant thank
1: you yeah I don't <laughs> even know if they're funny like I I don't think of myself as like an incredibly funny person and I would like to be I hope with age that I get funnier I find you to be funny thank you I find you to be funny too by the way Thank
0: thank you. Now might be a good time to describe Liana's work. And also, if you've got your phone handy, you can check out her Instagram account, which is just her name, L-I-A-N-A-F-I-N-C-K. Her cartoons are line drawings, usually without shading, almost always without color. There's a hesitancy to those lines. They are not the bold, confident marks of a prom queen. They waver and warble. Straight lines are not. Faces and bodies are often ill-proportioned or grotesque in a Shell Silverstein kind of way. Her drawings are thoughtful, sometimes cryptic, and often philosophical, such as a Venn diagram with two overlapping circles labeled what I feel and what others relate to. You can surmise a lot about Liana's personality and anxieties from her drawings and also about what's happened to her recently like a panel that shows a woman drawing at a cafe table while a short torsoed monster man shakes an infant in her face and rages what's the matter don't you like babies or a drawing where a woman sneezes and a speech bubble from off camera says bless you then in a bigger more aggressive font I said bless you
1: Yeah. That happened to me 10 years ago in a post office. And I was like, I was fiddling with like a the package weighing machine and feeling kind of stressed out and like under the gun because there was a line and I sneezed. And then from like way the other side of the post office was like, bless you. And I didn't really know if it was for me. And I, I, I like nodded and smiled, um, which apparently the person didn't see, but then they said, excuse me, you sneezed? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And then they were like, well, I said, God bless you. (laughs) Yeah, it was the worst. Um, You are
0: performing in Pop-Up Magazine's Winter Issue. Will you tell me a little bit about that?
1: The piece is called What We Say Versus What We Mean. So it's about how Uh, the way we speak politely is often the opposite of what we mean to say. And I just have never been able to wrap my head around when to lie completely and when to tell the truth. But it's a list of different things. Like we say, thank you so much for coming. Can't you stay a little bit longer? Have another piece of pie? But what you mean is, please go home. You've been here for five hours. (laughs) Please leave. Yeah. Please leave two hours ago. Yes. Like, I'm going to start crying. Do you remember being little and being taught about lying or like when it was okay to lie? I think I was always told that I should never lie and it was assumed that I would understand that I should lie sometimes. And I'm, I've i just, I didn't really speak until my 20s. Be, I think because I was so afraid, I kind of knew that I didn't know the difference and I was afraid I would say something wrong. So I was very shy, but it came from, the f- fear of saying the wrong thing. What happened in your 20s where you started speaking? I studied abroad twice, once during college and once after college. And something about having to speak a different language that I didn't speak very well freed me up a lot. And I learned, I, I got a lot bolder then. Um, and gradually, I've just become kind of a bold person. But I, now I just say things and then I go home and think, wow, I might have said something terrible but i don't have time to think about it so much and the world doesn't end do people or did people describe you as shy
0: often throughout your childhood and young adulthood
1: if they noticed me they would have <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I, they didn't i often wonder if shy is a constricting adjective to give someone
1: yeah it is it's such a nice thing to be. I, I feel so happy when I realize someone I know is shy and li- I think only good people are shy. They're also very good people who aren't shy, but I think all bad people are not shy. <laughs> all bad people are not shy. Huh. Shyness is self-consciousness. It's mm-hmm. like knowing that you have the capability to do bad and trying very hard not to. Right. It's very hard to exist in the world. As a shy woman, you'll get You'll get taken advantage of a lot. Right. The strong, silent type doesn't apply yeah. to women. No, it doesn't. You,
0: you mentioned that you studied abroad twice. I know that you went to Belgium yeah. um, on a Fulbright to study
1: Tintin. Yes. <laughs>
0: Were you in French-speaking Belgium? Yes.
1: I think applying for a Fulbright in Belgium is what led me to comics, which is where I really wanted to be because Belgium has fantastic comics. So what was it about Tintin that
0: made you want to lean into cartooning?
1: I loved Tintin as a kid. What what I do is not like Tintin. It's very straightforward. It doesn't really, there isn't a lot of emotional stuff or nuance. It's just like very well-drawn and like very tight adventure stories, with, like neither of which are my thing, Draw, like drawing perfectly or telling adventure stories. There's not so. like a lot of swashbuckling in your work no there's not and there's no like young detectives or anything and there's no sea captain although I hope maybe one day um maybe you'll fall in love with the sea captain who knows have I I think I tried that you Um, tried falling in love with the sea captain I went on a date with one on tinder just because but didn't take no he was great it just wasn't a good fit (laughs)
0: Liana isn't the only person interested in dating someone like Tintin's best friend, the irascible, pipe-smoking Captain Haddock. If you happen to be someone longing to snuggle up on the poop deck or canoodle in the foc'sle with a real-life sea captain, you're in luck. SeaCaptainDate.com is the internet's number one dating site for sea captains, and it's the first port of call for romance online. What you're about to hear are actual personal ads posted by actual sea captains on SeaCaptainDate.com. Popeye 22 from Marina Del Rey says, I'm a strong silent type with rugged good looks. Condo and a jacuzzi on my boat. I'd like to spend tonight with a somewhat thick, attractive lady. I love both salt and freshwater chicks. Two scoops of chum and plenty of bait. Seahawk from Long Beach says, When and if we come to
1: terms and you agree to trust me, I'll totally control you like my ship.
0: Chips Ahoy from Galveston says,
1: I'm going to come right out and be honest with you. I have a hook. It's on my right arm. It's not a big deal. People hardly ever notice it. It's a functional hook and I can swap it for different attachments. I have some pretty cool ones and I can't wait to show
2: you them all.
0: All hands on dick, Silver Lake.
2: Hey, I'm looking for a chill girl who's down to party on my dad's boat sometime. No drama, please.
0: Phil Collins Fan from Port Arthur, Texas says,
2: Age is not important, but you should be a size 11 shoe,
0: size 810 dress, and really like homosexual men. My style of the
2: week is Sea Captain Goth. I like to make money and spend it on travel, fine dining, luggage, clothes I wear in. I am a high-maintenance
1: sea captain who likes day spas, and I want to dress you up and take you places.
0: You must be crazy, sexy, funny, loud, skinny. Navy Seal 51 from New Jersey says,
1: My favorite show right now is Madman. It's amazing. I don't know, but something about that Don Draper really reminds me of my younger self. Except... I never worked in
2: an ad agency. I have always worked on a ship. Arr,
0: Shark Week Rules from Stockton says,
2: I enjoy spending time outdoors, the sound and sights of the ocean, the start of a new day at sunrise, the color of sunset, and light BDSM.
0: Banana Boat from Virginia, who is 60.
2: I'm not looking to have sex or get oral in the car. I'm interested in... In old-time courting with an attractive woman, I love to hold hands and kiss and snuggle.
1: We can go out sailing, out to dinner, concerts, sporting events, shopping, movies, etc., etc. I would prefer someone that is under 21.
0: Seashells on the seashore from North Carolina says...
1: Where
2: are the bitches at? All I see are sea captains.
0: I want to come back to the piece that you're performing at Pop-Up and this idea of saying the opposite of what you actually mean. And it reminded me so much about this meme or tweet that I saw where a woman's like psyching herself up. And she's like, I am empowered. And I am going to live my truth from now on. And then a waiter brings her something that she didn't order. And is like, is everything right? She's like, yes, this is so great. Thank you. Um, I mean, do you think that that is a particular struggle (laughs) for women or is this just part of the human
1: condition? I think women, I think men can afford to be polite more than women can. I think women have to do the equivalent of saying thank you so much for this food I didn't, like pretending that I did order. We have to do that so many times a day that it hurts us every time we do it. But men have to do it now and then. And when they do, they feel, oh, I'm I'm being very generous right now. And that makes them feel good. Like a man, not all men, obviously, but men usually are like on the street, don't get walked into as much. People don't try to take advantage of them as much. So a man can let people pass through a door um, knowing that people won't pass indefinitely and never let him in. I think a woman has to learn how to let someone pass maybe, but then show that it's her turn to go and kind of push through. But also a woman gets punished for pushing through and and see, she's seen as very rude and, and horrible for doing that. Whereas a man who pushes through is just being a man. Right. It's complicated. I've, I'm quite rude. I was a very polite kid and I've turned into a pretty rude adult and i think i have some kind i've been traumatized by having been polite and and suffered for it do you think that you're rude a rude adult i'm i'm rude in some ways i i've given the finger to someone in the past 24 hours on the street (laughs) can i ask about the context (laughs) yeah i was midtown. it was crowded i was trying to get into a bar to meet someone and and there was just a steady stream of pedestrians on the street, and and I had to make an odd turn to get into a door. And I went like that kind of to signal that I'm going through, and someone exclaimed a curse word at me for doing that, and then I gave him the finger. A lot of your work depicts things that you call micro
0: unkindnesses, which I... I had been using the word microaggressions.
1: Yeah, did I say micro? And I probably just couldn't remember the term microaggressions or thought it was patented or something and said the other thing. I feel like
0: microaggressions have only sort of recently, at least for me, but I think for the culture
1: at large, um, come into focus. It's such an important term.
0: Yeah, like I think before the word microaggression started being used, I just thought that it like... Well, that's life, the onslaught of daily things that happen to you, of daily indignities or somebody being aggressive or terrible
1: or racist or sexist or any of these things, that that was just sort of like a normal interaction. I think it's just called micro because it happens to women and people of color and other people who don't like, quote, matter. Um, It would be macro if it happened to powerful white men.
0: Right, I mean, I I also like setting it off as micro Because it's like, okay, the macroaggression is systemic racism. Right. And the microaggression is like, oh, we can still name that as an aggression. It's just like a trickle down effect.
1: Yeah. It's like the on the ground happening instead of the big newsprint newsprint ideas version of it. But what I love about the fact that you choose to center on
0: these microaggressions, that you dedicate like an Instagram post to them, is that it feels
1: like it gives them real weight and importance that Thank it like you Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's was... also why I answer comments because you're told to ignore the comments. But the comments are like the comments are too like too small for you to care about. But they're I don't think they are. I think they count and I think random people's like mean mean voices count as much as like the government's mean voice.
0: So a lot of these vignettes that you're talking about, it sounds like <laughs> you enact them in real time, walk away from them,
1: think about them, process yeah. them, and then they end up in your work. Yeah. I, I have an Instagram feed where I draw a lot of vignettes about strange interactions with strangers, which seem to happen a lot and which I just need to figure out. I, I think when when I make these kind of social, cr- social pieces like like the what we mean versus what we say or a drawing of a man yelling at a man about a dog biscuit. It's to figure out like why people act certain ways because it doesn't, it's not obvious. And if you figure it out, then you'll know how to react next time. You have an Instagram
0: account with, uh, as of today, 389,000 followers.
1: How does that make you feel? It makes me feel, I don't take it, very seriously because it's such a strange bubble and there's a lot of crap out there, but is, that's not a bad word, right? Oh, it's not a bad word. But if you
0: want to use a bad word, you can't use a bad word. <laughs> crap. That's Okay, on this show. Okay, I will
1: sprinkle some in. I mean, no pressure, but you're welcome okay. to. <laughs> so I don't take it so fucking seriously. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's. I think it's been definitely the best thing for my art because it's freed me up. I've had a ton of stage fright when I'm doing work for money or work for a magazine. I respect I'm trying so, or, or for a publisher trying to measure up and be like a passable comics artist or cartoonist. And on Instagram, there's no I I don't feel that there's any person watching over me and I can do whatever I want. So it's freed me up a ton. And I think that's really good for me. I see that you respond to comments on your Instagram pretty frequently. Yeah, it's a compulsion. I need to stop. Does it? Yeah. So you read the comments that people write? Not, not all the time. But if I do, I just feel so compelled to respond. I respond to spam emails. I don't know. What do you respond to spam emails? Um, I say like, no, thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) you dear. Dear, uh, dear <laughs> Prince from Nairobi, no thank you. I am not at this moment interested. Best of luck,
1: Liana. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, I so okay, here comes a genuine curse word. I didn't respond to someone once who wrote to me with a very long idea for a cartoon. And um, that was really dumb. I didn't respond. And then like three days later, he wrote, well, fuck you then. <laughs> So I think responding is from fear that if I don't, like deeply ingrained fear, that if I don't respond, people will come after me.
2: Regis, I'd like to phone a friend. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Here, let me move in the other room and then it should be pretty quiet.
0: Anna Merlin is a journalist currently at Vice and formerly at Jezebel, who's known for her hard-hitting reportage on topics like Pizzagate,
2: Russiagate, Gamergate, all the gates. A lot of what I write is the kind of thing where our, our lawyers have to approve it before it goes out. I've written about alleged cults. So yeah, I get, I get letters.
0: So you're writing a lot about sexual assault, conspiracy theories. Um, I'm guessing you get a lot of comments from people who are upset about your writing that these aren't if somebody's taking the time to write you a letter it's not like hey great job really appreciate your in-depth reporting
2: yeah that's not usually that's not usually what they're writing to me about no i still remember the first like funny mean comment i ever got when i was working at the dallas observer it was a guy who really didn't like me and had been sort of escalating for a couple weeks and then was finally like you know this girl needs a sandwich some melanin and jesus and I was like, that is so specific. That's incredible. I guess maybe I do need all those things. I loved that one.
0: I asked Anna if she set guidelines for herself about reading the comments.
2: So the the thing that I I have always known about myself is that I am more entertained by mean comments than other people. They don't affect me emotionally. They never really have. So that's, you know, I guess that's a benefit in this business. Um You know, occasionally if I get ones that are funny, like emails that are funny in a mean way, like I tweet them. I feel completely free to do that. You know, the contents of my inbox belong to me.
0: Anna is known for her sick burns, like this recent tweet directed at anti-feminist writer Caitlin Flanagan and one of her fans. Rare to see a situation where both people are huffing their own farts this publicly and vociferously. So how do you choose, like, when to engage with the trolls?
2: Functionally, if somebody says something to me that I think is funny, then I will engage with it. But, like, otherwise, I just don't. It is not just me being juvenile, though it's also that. Um, it is called counter-speech. When you are being harassed, and you are being faced with misogynistic abuse, when you have people in general trying to break your spirit in some way, a good form of counter-speech is to draw attention through, to it through, like, gentle mockery, sort of let other people know what's going on. Like, it is effective.
0: Anna was breaking up a little bit during this part of our call, but... Basically, she's talking about the idea of counter speech, which is where you undermine hate speech by addressing it head on.
2: You know, because as much as I make light of it and as much as it doesn't bother me, specifically, like a lot of particularly women who write for the Internet or engage in like political activism on the Internet do get faced with like harassment, death threats, you know, other things that are meant to shut them up, keep them quiet, demoralize them from speaking.
0: I asked Anna what advice she had for Liana. What would you have said if somebody responded to you and said, well, fuck you then for not responding to my idea for an article?
2: I mean, I would probably tweet it because that's very funny. That's also like a really classic sort of like man on the internet thing is like, let me first of all tell you how to do your job. And then secondly, when you're not receptive to it, I'll get really mad. Um, I think a lot of women are familiar with that sort of toggling between like flattery or praise or trying to be quote unquote helpful and then immediately getting hostile. So I think there are two different things to break out here. One is like responding to Fan emails, or like responding to people who send you nice letters. And like, I always respond to those people. I get a relatively small number of those. Leona <laughs> probably gets more. Um, the second thing is responding to criticism or people being obnoxious or people sending you whatever unsolicited feedback of any kind on your work, which is like, I think the important thing to kind of remember about that is that it can be a drain on your resources. You only have a limited amount of hours in the day or time that you can spend on your work. And if you are putting a bunch of attention into responding to that kind of stuff, like what I would look at it as is like someone is stealing your time. Just remember that like that is not an obligation that you have to honor just because somebody else wants you to. Do you see your work as
1: political? Yeah, definitely. It's I think, one, it's political in saying that the small things count, and two, it's political and looking for injustice that isn't just a one off. It's like I, I don't think I would want to draw a one off injustice. I think I want to draw things that happen to me but could happen to many people and have happened often. I do I do notice that I come off as the victim all the time and I feel a little touchy about that. I feel a little bad about that, but there you go. I I do. <laughs> It seems like a lot of what you do in
0: your drawing is that you're researching human interaction. Yeah. Um, that you're trying to sort of like organize things for yourself about, oh, like in this type of interaction, this is something that people do. do. Do you remember there being a shift where you're like, oh, I'm starting to recognize these patterns and now I'm starting to call those out as like larger societal issues, not just uh, my own personal grievances?
1: I think that's exactly why I stopped being shy. I think when I was shy, I thought I was very different from other people. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, but I thought I was. And um, I thought anything that happened to me happened to me because I was the way I was. And at some point, I realized it, it coincided with feeling beginning to feel very feminist. I realized that things happened to me because I'm a woman and like part of various different groups of people, um, and not because I'm like one of a kind, bizarre entity. I still, ident- I, it's weird. I, oh, I'm going to have said weird too many times. It's weird. I identify as weird, but I also think every, a lot of people do. And I think I'm writing for other people who identify as weird rather than to set myself apart from other people, which, which has been a really big shift. I, I think the loneliness has, has gone and that's amazing in my life <laughs> do you have any <laughs> advice or words of wisdom to weird shy girls oh my gosh I I hope it's easier for weird shy girls now than it was when I was one um I hope I, I think the advice is to find other weird shy girls um and to to be proud of being weird and shy and to re-read it's okay to be friends with people who are dead like right like books count as friends but also friends are important,
2: regular Live, friends. Living friends. Yeah, yeah, living
1: friends are important, but if you don't have them, books count and are real and make art and learn to not give up if people don't understand your art, keep going, exercise. You don't have to take that advice, but I wish I had learned about it earlier. It's good to like be outdoors and stuff. If people are interested in seeing your piece about what we say and what we mean, Where can they find Pop-Up Magazine? It's at popupmagazine.com, and it will be at BAM in Brooklyn on February 12th and 13th, both evenings and other cities um, between the 6th and I think the 22nd of February. People can find it all at popupmagazine.com. And in case people aren't familiar,
0: uh, Pop-Up Magazine is this amazing um, live magazine where you have different, writers and illustrators and artists of different kinds each presenting their pieces if in a magazine and if you aren't there it doesn't exist anywhere online yeah. so if it you can't go see it you
1: should it sounds odd but it's really amazing and feels effortless and very wonderful liana Pink, thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for having me it's been really nice
0: i appreciate your time so much thank you same Hey, thanks so much for listening to this little show of ours. While I've got you, would you take a moment to rate and review Glitter and Doom wherever you get your podcasts? It takes but a moment, but it makes a huge difference. Thanks and see you next week. Glitter and Doom is made by me, Mackenzie Fagan, Ross Tuttle, Isabel Alcantara, Mira Al-Rahim, Naeem Van, and Eric Hogesegg. It is executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Isham.